political bullshit. So here's the third and final part of my series on 12 common gotcha questions and statements that I often get from people on the right. So in part one, if you missed that, I answer some questions about Donald Trump. Like, how was Donald Trump racist? Uh, can you give me an example of Donald Trump lying? I answer questions about COVID. Like, how is Donald Trump to blame for the pandemic? And only 6% of the deaths are from COVID. So explain that one, buddy. And about Trump's economy and the belief that he created an amazing economy before COVID came along and spoiled everything. And also about how I can vote for Joe Biden being somebody who considers themselves a somewhat radical progressive. In the second video, I answered questions about the protests and systemic racism. How can you say Trump responded poorly to the civil rights protests when people were literally burning and looting and the claim that systemic racism doesn't exist in America today? And if it does, you have to name me one law that is racist. So in this video, I've got three final questions to answer. They're about voter suppression. Um, the first two are more statements. Um, if you can shop in person, you can vote in person. We're not against absentee voting. We're against universal mail-in voting. And the third one's not about voting. It's an all-encompassing question. How do you see things getting any better? So let's get started. If you can go to Walmart, you can go vote in person. So this point is constantly being made on Twitter by people like Charlie Kirk and Steven Crowder and the Trump children. They're always saying some version of this point. And this one's pretty easy to answer because there's really no like firm stance behind this position. It's one of those things that people didn't really actually believe before Trump started pushing it so hard. It's just he, he started pushing it and because they feel like it's their duty to be a mouthpiece for Trump's delusional positions, they'll just start spewing shit like this out. So, so this question, the way they word it, it's with the assumption that absentee voting is being pushed just so that people can avoid the crowded polls during the pandemic. And that's the only reason. You know, the argument is if you're willing to go to the supermarket to buy food for your family, then you should be willing to go to a crowded polling place to vote in person. Okay, so now avoiding crowded areas is one purpose. And to be honest, it's a totally reasonable purpose because there's that pandemic going on, you know, like it killed 100,000, 200,000 people. So, I mean, there's honestly really no other reason needed if you want to avoid voting in person and going into a crowded polling place, especially when you consider the people that are working at the polling places. You know, most of them are elderly. If you want to go, if you want to avoid going for their sake, to avoid you know, possibly getting them sick if you're a carrier, asymptomatic carrier, that's totally reasonable too. No other excuse is needed. But that being said, it's not the only reason mail-in voting is being pushed. And this statement that you can go, if you can go grocery shopping, you can go to the polls, totally ignores the other reason. The other reason being that there's a huge shortage of poll workers. Because like I said, most of the people that work at the polls are elderly. So it's not surprising when you find out that most of them are choosing not to work the polls this year when there's a huge pandemic. And so the result is mass polling closures all over the country. And we saw this, the results of this happen over and over again during the primaries. A few examples in Milwaukee, there are typically 180 polling places open during an election. But during the primary in April, because of the pandemic, only five were able to open up. And that was a direct result of a shortage of poll workers. So from 180 polling places to five, a 97% reduction in polling places. And that results in people having to wait in line for hours to vote. And that's just the primary. Typically that has a slightly lower turnout than the general election. So the problem is only likely to get worse. Look at the state of Kentucky. They typically have 3,700 polling places in the entire state. They were only able to open up 170 
So 170 polling locations for the entire state of Kentucky, 4% of the usual number of open locations, 4%. In Georgia, you had had up to 16,000 people that were all supposed to vote at the same location. So during the Georgia primary, the line at 7.30 a.m. was up to 350 people long. People ended up having to wait up to five hours to vote there. In California, people waited six hours to vote. In Texas, the last voter in the Texas primary waited for six hours and he didn't place his vote until 1.30 a.m. See, this is the issue here. It's not because people are afraid and because they're living in fear. You know, and, and if they do want to vote by mail for that reason during the worst pandemic in 100 years, that's still 100% reasonable. But don't just totally ignore the polling closures, the wait times. That's why we need to vote by mail. Nobody should have to wait hours to vote, you know, especially four or five or six hours. Nobody should have to wait until bar closed to cast a vote. You know, if they want to go get a beer at a bar after they're voting, that's their right as an American. When you bring these points up, the only response that they usually have, they actually have two responses. They'll say, well, people will wait in line for days for iPhones. And then they'll say, it's our civic duty. We should be proud that we can wait in line for six hours to vote. We should be proud that as Americans, we have democracy and we can wait. We have the privilege to wait for six hours to vote. So first of all, I'll talk about that second point. It's not prideful when you live in a country that makes you wait an entire workday just to place a vote. That's shameful. You should be proud of your country when they make it easy for you to vote, not hard. You know, some people can't wait that long to vote because they have to work. You know, just because you legally have the right to take off work in order to vote doesn't mean everybody can afford to miss an entire day of work. You know, we work for money. We don't work for fun. Not everybody has the privilege to be able to just burn six hours in a day standing in line when they're supposed to be making their money that they need to pay their bills, to pay their rent, to pay buy for their buy their groceries. You know, all of these cases in Wisconsin, Georgia, Kentucky, Texas, Maine, all over the country, people were giving up and leaving before they placed their vote. You know, they were leaving the line because they couldn't afford to miss any more time from work. And those are the people that absolutely should not be losing their voice. They're the ones that need to vote, but they can't. And you're proud of that? I'm ashamed of that. Everybody, as Americans, should be ashamed of that. Anybody in a democratic system would be ashamed of that. And then they say, well, people will wait in line for an iPhone for six hours. And that that one, honestly, it's not even worthy of a response. Like trying to refute such an absurd point, only like it only validates it more than it deserves. But for the sake of this video, I will respond to it. So buying an iPhone and voting, not at all comparable. I mean, they they actually make the point, the argument against themselves in the previous argument because they say we should be proud to wait for hours because it's our civic duty. Now, buying an iPhone is an optional act of consumerism. It's not civic duty. Now, if you're buying an if the you buying an iPhone on its day of release directly affected your health care and the health care of everybody around you, or if it determined whether or not we would disband the pandemic team two years before the deadliest pandemic in a hundred years, or if it determined if we would, you know, whether or not we would follow through with the already active plan to mail five reusable masks to every household in America a month into the pandemic, or if we stop that plan to avoid panic, even though it might cost tens of thousands of lives. Uh, if it determined if we cut the corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%, while raising our own taxes in eight years, 
or if he determined if 100,000 small businesses would permanently close in less than a year, but major corporations would be kept alive with $4 trillion in federal aid, aka our tax money, or if it determined if we would reach the, the highest level of unemployment since the Great Depression, or if it affected the trade wars with China that amounted to the highest number of small farm bankruptcies since the beginning of the decade, if buying an iPhone affected all of those things, then it might be a comparison worth making. But fortunately, those things don't hinder on our buying of iPhones at all. It affects none of those things. So if people want to wait in line for six hours to buy an iPhone, that's their choice. But we shouldn't all be forced to make that same choice if we want to vote. We're not against absentee voting. We're against universal mail-in voting. So when they say this, they're claiming that absentee voting is fine. That's when you request to receive a ballot in the mail. The issue they have is with the states that are automatically mailing out ballots to all of the registered voters in their state. So now Trump says this is going to cause mass voter fraud in the election all over the country, and that's going to cost him the election. So before I get into the validity of their concerns with universal mail-in voting, I think it's worth noting that only nine states and the District of Columbia are actually doing universal mail-in voting. Almost the entire country is sticking with the standard practice of absentee mail-in voting, you know, the, the thing that Trump is totally okay with. And all the states that are doing the universal mail-in voting, all of them are blue states. So virtually none of them are in play this election anyway. The only one you might consider a swing state is Nevada, but even that's a pretty like decently blue state at this point. They voted Democrat in the last three elections, and right now Biden is up heavily in the polls. According to the last Fox News poll, he's up 11 points in Nevada. So even though universal mail-in voting will not lead to mass fraud, which is what I'm going to get into after this, if it did, it still wouldn't cost in the election at all. It wouldn't influence the election. Now, if they were voting like this in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida, then his argument would actually have merit for how it would cost him the election. Not for how it actually leads to fraud, but just for how, if it did lead to fraud, how it would cost him the election. So that being said, though, that alone isn't a good argument to use, I'll admit, because I don't think you should ever just try to downplay or justify voter fraud as your sole argument. So let's get into why it's unlikely that universal mail-in voting will lead to mass voter fraud. They have four main concerns, um, that they're going to mail ballots to dead people and dogs who will then vote for Joe Biden, that people are going to steal them for mailboxes and then fill them out and send them back in fraudulently. And some people are going to use that opportunity to vote twice. So they'll vote with their mail-in ballot and then go vote in person. And corrupt mailmen and mailwomen are going to just throw the ballots out when they see that they voted for Trump. So the first thing you have to do with these four issues is go through and see which ones hold true to the main concern. The main concern being against universal mail-in voting. You know, make sure they're not just against the idea of mail-in voting or absentee voting, because that just leads you back to the previous question that I already answered. So first, if they're concerned that people are going to vote twice, that's just basic voter fraud that has nothing to do specifically with universal mail-in voting. You can try and vote twice requesting an absentee ballot. You can try and vote twice in person. Actually, Trump made this argument. Um, I just heard a speech where he was saying people are voting and then they turn around and they put on a hat and they go back in and vote and then they turn around and they change their shirt and then they go back and they vote again. And then sometimes they don't even change their clothes and they just go vote again. So, I mean, he's against just, I guess, all voting because it's all just going to lead to people voting twice. But universal mail-in voting isn't going to lead to people voting twice unless you listen to Trump when he told you to vote twice. 
You know, it doesn't make it any less illegal. It doesn't make it any easier. So that argument doesn't hold true because it's not just voting and voter fraud that we're complaining about here. It's specifically universal mail-in voting that they're arguing. If you're concerned about people throwing your ballot out, like the corrupt mailman, that's also just an issue with mail-in voting, you know, not specifically universal mail-in voting. That can just as easily happen with the absentee voting. Now, actually, the cases that they keep bringing up in New York and Pennsylvania of the ballots being thrown out and found in ditches, those states don't even have universal mail-in voting. So, I mean, and since Trump has said repeatedly he's fine with absentee voting, the fact that he brings up issues that are happening in states that aren't even implementing universal mail-in voting, you know, that shows that he's not actually upset about that. He's just using any excuse he can to say that everything's going to be fraudulent. Also, this can happen at the polls too. You know, poll workers have been caught throwing out ballots. They've been caught filling in other people's ballots, the bubbles on their ballots. Machines have mismarked ballots. You know, these are standard issues of shitty people doing shitty things. You know, none of them, including Trump's own examples, have anything to do with universal mail-in voting. And it's important to note that even when fraud like this does happen, it's incredibly rare. You know, it's never really been a real issue. And it definitely shouldn't cause us to overlook the much larger issue of voter suppression that would be caused by not allowing any mail-in voting whatsoever. Also, I like to just throw their anti-mask argument that they like to make right back at them. Just say, if you're afraid of mail-in voting so much, then don't vote by mail. But don't take away my right to vote by mail. My freedom doesn't end where your fear begins. You know, it's insane. Their whole shtick is about standing up for freedom and rights. You know, just because you're afraid of something doesn't mean you can take away my freedom to do it. So why doesn't that apply to mail-in voting? And if they respond with, well, voting doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody. You just be like, well, great. <laughs> just lead them right back into the mask argument and say, thanks for proving my point. Now, can we agree that that's an absurd premise? So anyway, the last two points, they actually are compatible with the universal mail-in argument. They're not valid, just compatible. And those are that ballots are going to be sent to dead people and dogs, and that people are going to steal them from mailboxes, fill them out, and send them in fraudulently. So first off, with universal mail-in voting, ballots are only sent to registered voters. So you have to have registered already with a verifiable name, address, date of birth, social security number. So when he says that ballots are being sent to dead people, he's not actually talking about ballots. He's talking about registration forms that are being sent from third parties urging people to register to vote. So you might have like some political organization mailing out registration forms, reminding you and urging you to register probably by mail to vote, but it's not actually the ballot itself. You know, just because the registration form was addressed to somebody who may have passed away, it doesn't mean that they can now successfully register and vote. If somebody does attempt to register a dead person, that person would show up as deceased in the state database. It would be rejected. And that person who did register it and, would, and tried it, and we know this because people have tried it, would receive a letter saying, it's been rejected, try this again, and we'll charge you with a felony for voter fraud. So the only time a ballot actually gets sent to a dead person is when the person had recently died. They registered to vote, died before the election. And this does happen occasionally. And there are people who have sent in that ballot on behalf of their deceased spouse, knowing how they were likely to vote. And it's not like when they do that, they're doing it with any malintent. It's more of a way to honor them knowing who they wanted to vote for. But nonetheless, these ballots still get rejected. And the person who sent it in gets that letter saying, hey, that was an act of voter fraud. Try this again and you'll be charged with a felony. Now dogs for Biden. So 
So in 2007, a woman registered her dog and actually received a ballot. Concerning? Yes. 13 years ago? Also, yes. So this woman did it to prove a point, and she proved that point very well. So what did they do? They fixed it. They tightened up the registration process very quickly after that. You can't get away with something like that nowadays. That was 13 years ago. And we know you can't get away with it now because people have continued to try it. I think somebody tried it most recently in 2016. And again, it was unsuccessful. And they received that letter that it was a, you know, your first and last strike. Try this again and you'll go to prison. So these are not concerns at all. They're just made up problems. Now, the last issue, I'll admit, actually does hold some concern, at least more than every other issue before. But it's not nearly as concerning as it's made out to be. You know, they're basically fear-mongering with this issue. And that's that people are stealing them out of mailboxes, filling them out, and then sending them back in. So now, right off the bat, when Trump says that people are doing this, and when he talks about it, he always talks about it very specifically, specific examples. You know, children are stealing them out of mailboxes, then they walk down the block, and they give them to a group of people who fill them out and mail them back. That's not at all true. Like, it's literally something that doesn't happen in reality. You know, I'll admit it's a possibility, but so is in-person voter fraud becoming a huge problem. That's also a possibility. It's just his entire narrative that this is an active and ongoing problem that's entirely made up. Never was a problem. It isn't a problem now, and it likely won't be a problem in the future. But if you want to argue that it will become a problem, then okay, that's an argument that we can have. But just know going into it, it doesn't hold that much weight. Because that's not any different than saying people are going to commit mass voter fraud by printing out fake IDs and fraudulently voting in person either. But let's entertain that argument so at least we have an answer for this question. So if this did become a problem, people started stealing ballots out of mailboxes all over and sending them in fraudulently, there are obstacles in place to keep this from happening. So one thing that deters this is just the fact that it's highly, highly illegal. So if you get caught doing this, you'd be charged with not one, but two felonies, stealing mail and voter fraud. With those two felonies, you'd be facing up to 10 years in prison and $260,000 in fines. So that's enough to deter most people from sending in a few fraudulent ballots. But let's say somebody doesn't care. They do it anyway. They don't get caught. They mail it in. So there are other obstacles after it's mailed in to prevent fraudulent absentee ballots from counting. So each ballot requires a signature. And after it's received, they examine the signature, they compare it to the signature on file from your registration. If it's noticeably different, then they'll contact the voter, they'll reject the ballot, contact the voter, and request additional information to verify that it's verify their identity, verify it's their ballot that they sent it in. And this happens to people who aren't even voting fraudulently. They just change their signature a little bit and it gets flagged, and they end up having to take some extra steps to make sure that their vote gets counted. So it's a it's a pretty good system. And all of the personal information on the ballot has to match your registration info also. So unless the person stealing all the ballots knows everybody's personal information, then it's going to get rejected. Also, every registered voter has the means to track their ballot online to make sure it hasn't been sent in already or it hasn't been intercepted and not received. So if they, if they discover something's wrong, then they can report it. They'll reject the ballot and send them a new one. So these obstacles have been in place and successfully prevented voter fraud for years. They've worked very well. It's never been an issue that we've actually had to be concerned about. And we know this because we can look at the history of voter fraud. 
So there are five states who have been holding their elections primarily by mail even before this year. And they haven't had a single voter fraud scandal since they switched to primarily voting by mail. So when Trump says that there's this rampant voter fraud, it's nothing but a blatant lie. There's literally no evidence to back it up. Trump even created after the 2016 election a voter fraud commission that spent like six months or something investigating the 2016 election so that he could finally justify losing the popular vote because of the voter fraud. And after like two meetings, he ended up having to disband that team because they couldn't find a single instance of voter fraud. They investigated for months and they couldn't find a single instance. He just gave up, but he continues to tell this lie. Another independent team investigated the 2016 election and they found four instances of voter fraud. Three of them were people trying to vote twice for Trump. And then the last one was a local mayoral election in Florida. And there was another investigation that looked at 14 years of elections and they only found 31 instances of voter fraud in 14 years. That's billions of votes cast. And they found 31 instances of voter fraud. It's not a big problem. Yet Trump still calls it substantially fraudulent. So it, this is just another ongoing theme with Trumpism, where the truth is totally irrelevant. It's just like the Central Park Five case, where there was clear DNA evidence that proved that they were innocent. Yet Trump just continues to choose to believe that they're still guilty. Like He would rather there be corruption and wrongdoing if it benefits him than for there to actually be good and you know some structure in the system if it doesn't benefit him. That's not the type of person you want leading a country. The type of person that roots for evil, for flaws in the system, rather than for good and functionality. You know, he's rooting for voter fraud. He's the only person who's actively encouraging voter fraud. He literally told people in North Carolina, vote twice. He told them that's what they should do. Commit a felony and vote twice. Vote by mail, then vote in person. You know, he wants voter fraud to happen so he has something to blame. It's his excuse to stay in power no matter what. You know, at first it was just an excuse to suppress the vote and that way they have a higher chance at winning. Now it's an excuse to overcome the election results no matter what. And he created this entire issue hoping that it would become an issue. It's a non-issue right now. You know, even though it doesn't even really matter because whether or not it becomes an issue is totally irrelevant because he's going to react the same way. And if there isn't a single shred of evidence of voter fraud, he's going to react as if there actually was rampant voter fraud happening. So here's the core of the issue. If the truth doesn't rely on reality, where does it lie? It lies in Trump's agenda to seize power. You know, reality has less of an effect on truth than Trump's own agenda. But the thing is, that only works if we go along with it. The problem right now is that we have half the country going along with it. And voter suppression, his refusal to step down if he loses, the fact that he's now reaching out to the Electoral College of swing states and asking them to just place their votes for him, even if Biden wins, all of this because of voter fraud that doesn't even exist, that's just a blatant power grab based in fabrication, based in manipulation. You know who does that sort of thing? Tyrannical leaders, dictators, blatant raw power, political power grabs that are based in no, no truth. You know, this is consistent with dictatorial behavior. And I'm not trying to say that Trump is Hitler, but Trump's leadership does have authoritarian characteristics that have already harmed the country this year more than before. It's cost thousands of American lives now. We see the consequences of this behavior. You know, you look at dictators who let their people starve in order to save face with the rest of the world. 
They don't want to look like they don't want to look weak. They don't want to look like their country is a failure. And they let the ends justify the means. And then you look at Trump, who put the kibosh on a plan to send out masks to every household in America a month into the pandemic, knowing that the virus was deadly, that it was airborne, that it would kill old people and young people at a rate five times higher than the flu. And he didn't want to send out masks to everybody because he didn't want the people to panic. He wanted it to look like he had control of the country. He didn't want to look weak. His personal appearance took precedence over his own people, just like previous dictators. You know, that cost tens of thousands of American lives. Obviously, these aren't parallel situations. Things are different. But you look at the, the consequences, you look at the results. You know, when history books talk about 2020, that should be written as an act of cruel leadership. He made a conscious choice to stop the active process. It's not that he didn't do something. The thing is, the process to provide aid, to provide the masks during the pandemic had already been initiated. It was in place. It was ongoing. And he stopped it. He made the conscious decision to stop it. And that resulted in a disproportionate number of dead Americans compared to the rest of the world. It's obvious. Look at the death rates of us compared to everybody else. And why is that? It's because of our leadership. All right, so it's getting into the weeds a little bit, and I still have one question to do. So here's a quick recap of the answer. If you can shop in person, you can vote in person. All right, if people want to vote by mail to avoid crowded areas during the worst pandemic in 100 years, for one thing, that's totally reasonable and needs no further explanation. If they want to vote by mail because they don't want to expose the elderly poll workers, that's also reasonable. No further explanation needed. But the biggest point here is that those aren't the only two reasons. The pandemic has caused a mass shortage of poll workers, and that's resulting in thousands of polling closures. This means thousands of people are now required to vote at the same location if they want to vote in person. You know, the lines are hundreds of people long. They're four, five, six hours long. People shouldn't have to wait until one or two in the morning to vote. You know, not everybody's afraid. They just can't afford to wait that long, nor should they be expected to. We're not upset about absentee voting. We're upset about universal mail-in voting. Now, if your argument against universal mail-in voting is that people are going to vote twice or that the mailmen and mailwomen will just throw them out, that's just as applicable to absentee voting as universal mail-in voting. So it's just mail-in voting and standard voter fraud that you have an issue with. Now, if you're upset that it's allowing dead people and dogs to vote, ballots aren't being sent out to dead people unless they died between registering to vote and voting. The thing is, registration forms occasionally are, but that doesn't mean that they're then allowed to vote. If they submit a registration form and they've already died, the state database will catch it upon receipt of the registration form and it will say deceased and it will be rejected. Now, a dog received a ballot once in 2007, but just like there are obstacles to prevent dead people from voting, a dog won't be able to get away with it either. Cats, I'm not so sure about. Now, if you're concerned about people stealing them from mailboxes, it's possible that people could do this, but it's not currently an issue like Trump and that parody news station Fox News claims it is. The laws in place to deter this are very unforgiving for one. If you're caught, you would be facing up to 10 years in prison and $260,000 in fines. And if a fraudulent ballot is sent in, it'll be rejected if the signature doesn't match your signature on file well enough or if any of the personal information is off. And the voter is also able to track their ballot online. If they notice that it was fraudulently submitted or that it hadn't been received yet because it might have been intercepted, they can report that and receive a new ballot. Also, these are only sent to already registered voters. So these are people who are already active in the voting process and people that plan on voting. 
And the final point is that contrary to how they talk about it, only nine states and the District of Columbia are actually using mail-in, universal mail-in voting as a system. So most of the country is not using it at all. And the states that are, are already very blue. Now, these are key swing states. So they're not even on Trump's agenda to try and win anyway. So essentially, if the issue of fraud was real, which it isn't, it would have virtually no effect on the election. But it isn't real. So this is just another Trump brand fabrication and we have nothing to worry about. Okay, now the last question. All this complaining, all this pessimism, are we just doomed or what? Do you see it getting any better? If so, how? All right. So to consider if things are going to get any better, we have to find the core of the problem. So in my opinion, and I think a lot of you will agree with this, while we have all these huge problems with wealth inequality, inadequate health care, poverty, the wars, at the base of all that is corruption. So the, the corruption that's stolen or rather replaced the voice of the American people. That's money in politics, lobbying, soft money, super PACs. It's created this government that's just filled with corporate politicians and resulted in a dysfunctional Congress ruled by money and ruled by the corporations that funded them and not by the people like it's supposed to be. It's also caused this sports-like partisanship. So our voices, our needs, our requirements, they don't matter as long as this bribery is legal. That's why those other issues aren't being taken care of. So until we solve this, those issues are just, they're going to be placed on the back burner. They're never going to be looked at in a real way in government. So how do we solve this? We solve this by creating a 28th Amendment to get money out of politics. So the issue with this is that the corruption already has its claws in so deep, this seems like a nearly impossible solution. So how do we solve that? What we have to stop doing is just focusing so much on the presidency as the sole means to steer us away from this corruption. Because as unfortunate as it is, the presidency is almost certainly going to be led by the establishment for the foreseeable future. You know, it's a long shot that we're going to see an actual progressive grassroots funded president anytime soon, you know, whether that's a Democrat or third party. Really, when it comes to the presidency, for now, all we can really hope for is one that doesn't do so much destruction, you know, through legislative action or by undermining democracy that it takes big chunks out of our progress. You know, we can't rely on that position to take steps forward. We have to look somewhere else to take steps forward. And I'm not trying to say that we should give up on the presidency at all, because obviously I see, I know that's important and I'm going to push as hard as I can for the right candidate every single election year. I'm never going to give that fight up. I'm just saying, don't let the fight for presidency compromise your fight in other areas. We need to focus just as hard on voting in grassroots progressives into Congress, into state and local office. All politicians that don't accept money from major corporations, super PACs, the military industrial complex, they all deserve our attention and our support and our fight. And this is going to take a while, but it's happening right now. You know, Bernie's the father of the movement. And of course, he wasn't successful running for president. And that killed a lot of people's spirits, but not everybody's. What Bernie did while he was unsuccessful in running for president, he was successful in influencing the ideology of an entire generation. And that's going to have a major impact for decades to come. Possibly a bigger impact than if he had been elected president. And if he wasn't able to get as much done in that four years, that might have killed more spirits than influenced, than he's influenced now. So look back at the, the last election, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley. 
These were all justice Democrats who refused corporate money and they were still elected into Congress in 2017. This year, we had Jamal Bowman, Cori Bush, Mondaire Jones, Marie Newman. They, these, they all refused to accept corporate money again and they're almost certainly going to be joining Congress this year. Plus, you have all the people that have already been in office for more than a couple of years. Pramila Jayapal, Ro Khanna, Tulsi Gabbard, Raul Garhalva, Bernie Sanders. You know, the numbers are starting to grow. And yeah, I know there, there are 535 members in Congress and we're celebrating single digit wins. But the thing is, a lot of these victories were landslides. And some of them were huge upsets that took out incumbents that had been in Congress for years or for decades. You know, the people want members like this in Congress. And now we know we can vote them in. You know, so this is the progress we can make. We can't let the presidential race just take all of our focus all the time. We can't let it take the wind out of our sails. The Besides, the legislative branch was designed to be the most powerful branch in government. Like Mitch McConnell, he was able to single-handedly delay voting on the Supreme Court vacancy in 2016 for the entire year. Barack Obama was at Mitch McConnell's mercy. It wasn't the other way around. And these elections, the local, state, Congress, we can win these every election. These are the ones we can win. You know, even if it's only four or five people a year right now, that's going to grow exponentially. And the other thing is them beating incumbents strikes fear into all the Democrats who are still in office and they're just sitting there thinking, oh shit, I got to get my shit together or I might be next. You know, like I might actually have to start listening to my constituents because five of my coworkers just got elected out and I don't want to be next. You know, that's 100% going to affect the behavior of those that are in office right now that aren't necessarily voting for the people. It's going to affect the positions they hold and the votes that they place. Now, voting in a progressive grassroots funded president is like throwing a Hail Mary. Like we should still give it a shot, you know, and it would be awesome if we succeed, but we can't be all that surprised when we don't especially right now, given the system as in its current state. The system is corrupt. It's set up to avoid that sort of thing from happening. So we need to push as hard as we can to take these smaller steps. You know, change Congress. We vote in more people like that into Congress. It'll influence those that are already in Congress. We might be able to actually start changing the system. A 28th Amendment to get money out of politics. Because our voices should be what's running the country. And they know that. I mean, that's why they ruled that money is speech, because they know our speech should be ruling the country. So if they just say, well, corporate money is speech, well, that all goes together then. Money in politics isn't free speech. It's corruption. It's bribery. And it's obvious. The American people know that. There was a poll where 93% of Americans said they believe politicians listen to their big money donors more than they listen to their constituents. 93%. So the American people overwhelmingly believe that our government is corrupt. So if we solve that issue and politicians can no longer rely on money to keep them in office, then they're going to have to rely on the people to keep them in office for once. And that means that they'll have to listen to the people for once. That means they'll have to address all of those problems that are plaguing our country right now. Healthcare, wealth inequality, the wage gap, education, criminal justice reform, the military industrial complex making the rich pay their fair share in taxes, immigration reform, clean water, the Green New Deal, the wars. You know, none of these are going to be addressed while politicians are still being paid off by giant corporations. You get that money out of politics and those issues will actually be on the table for the first time in a serious way.
So looking at right now, there's a big presidential election coming up. I plan on voting for Joe Biden, even though he doesn't support what I see as the solution at all, really. The thing is, it's critical that we end this accelerated destruction being caused by Donald Trump. Now, a year ago, I didn't hold this position. But after seeing this year, the consequences of his presidency and how consequential that can be if we allow it to continue, you know, like the virus isn't his fault. I'll acknowledge that. Regardless of who was president, there'd be some deaths. There'd be an economic hit. There'd be some pushback against the continued police brutality, the systemic racism. No president would be able to handle that perfectly. But the damage that we faced is disproportionate on a major level to the rest of the world. And that's the fault of our leader. The entire economic collapse, 200,000 deaths, riots and vigilante militias, a nation that's just that's truly divided. That is all Donald Trump's fault. And we have to vote that out. You know, I don't believe that I don't have some delusional stance that we're going to be able to push Biden to the left, but that doesn't mean that it nullifies my end goal. Now, I'm all for fighting for a truly progressive president every year. You know, yeah, it's a Hail Mary, but I'm all for throwing it every year. But we need to make these small wins in order to nudge in that direction where we can actually make that happen. The thing is, we need to avoid another term of Donald Trump so that we can continue to fight for those small wins. You know, just as hard as we fight for the big ones. We fight for those and we might be able to start getting some of those big ones. That's how we reach our end goal. And that's the only way I see things truly getting better. All right, and that concludes the 12 questions that I've been hearing a lot lately and generally how I answer them. So a little, the answers were a little bit longer than I planned on when I started the videos, but hopefully it was a lot of useful information. So if there are any important questions that you think I missed or that you want me to answer, just let me know. And maybe I'll make some more videos answering questions like this.